What's up everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I've got an exciting show for everybody and I'm very excited to be back. The main story that we're going to talk about today is a company called Selective Biosciences. I touched on them in my Ask Me Anything on the subreddit Biotech Plays, so you can check that out. But I wanted to get into more detail with them because I think they're a very interesting platform company. And certain platform companies have gotten more attention than others, and I think this one is being overlooked to an extent. So we're going to touch on that, some of the data they've shown, and some catalysts that we should look forward to. The other companies I'm going to talk about are data from Eli Lilly, Marker Therapeutics, as well as Anobis, which recently had an update. So with that, uh, we're going to get right into it. And before I do, I just want to thank everybody for all the support. I love all the engagement on Twitter and on the biotech channels, so please keep it up. And it does help me, you know, keep this thing going. So I appreciate that. And with that, let's get right into it. And the first company I wanted to touch on is news from Eli Lilly. And they're a huge company, I would say like a large mega cap at $183 billion. And what they recently presented was the full data set from their molecule Denanumab in Alzheimer's disease. And this is a phase two trial looking at this antibody that targets a specific epitope on the amyloid beta protein, and this epitope is only visible in established plaques. Now, I don't want to belabor the point about the amyloid hypothesis, which I've done in previous videos, but suffice to say that a number of different molecules have been attempted in this indication in specifically the mechanism of reducing amyloid plaques, and they've all failed. And what we're seeing here is that in this multicenter, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, that denanumab had a significant, is what they're showing here in the IARDS score, but not a very profound impact on cognition. And so they looked at this primary outcome, the IARDS score, and this is a combination of the ADAS-COG as well as the ADCS-IADL. And so ADAS-COG is a general measure of cognition, whereas the ADCS-IADL is a measure of activities of daily living. So they did a combined score with that, and denanumab's improvement led to a p-value of 0.04, so technically it was significant, but I'm not sure that if they replicated this data in a phase three trial, it would necessarily be positive. It is an interesting thing because when you look at the actual ADAS-COG-13 score, we don't see any significant change. It, it is better in Denanumab, but not by a significant margin. And then the MMSE score is basically no difference between the two. So. This is another data point to suggest that perhaps the amyloid beta hypothesis isn't one that these companies should be looking at. And the last thing I wanted to show here is that the one thing that they do see a significant change in is the amount of amyloid in the brain. And so they do a PET scan here to show that the denanumab treated group has a significant reduction in the amount of amyloid plaque in the brain compared to placebo. So the drug is able to reduce the amyloid beta plaques, but it's not able to improve cognition really as much as you would expect given the effect is there. So I wanted to bring this up because there is an upcoming PDUFA date for Biogen's aducanumab, and this is gonna be a huge mover for the stock. And it was originally supposed to be in March, but it was delayed until June 7th of this year. So keep your eyes out on that. I don't know if I'm going to make any position on it. I think that the FDA should not approve it given the results from the advisory committee. But given that there's so many eyes on this PDUFA, I feel like there's a chance that the FDA could overlook that and end up approving the drug. So it's definitely a high risk, high reward play. 
and I would treat it as such and proceed likewise. So that is Eli Lilly. I want to quickly move on to another company in the Alzheimer's space called Anovis. And I touched on them in my previous video. And what we heard in the last week was that they announced positive phase two data. And this is interim data showing that ANVS 401, or another name for the molecule is posifin, improves speed and coordination in Parkinson's patients. And this was a 25 day treatment. Nine patients were in the treatment group and five were in the placebo. And on the announcement of this data, I think the stock was trading at around 150, maybe $200 million market cap valuation. And it went up to around 250, 300 before kind of settling around $250 million market cap. So big move up in the stock. And I'll tell you the data. The CEO explained that the study was powered to investigate a difference of 20 to 25% in biomarker levels, not to demonstrate efficacy, making this data that much more significant. So to provide some context and why I think this is interesting is that I, in my previous video, didn't really seem too bullish on Anovis. And the reason for this is that it reminds me very closely of other types of amyloid beta drugs because this drug reduces APP, the precursor protein, to amyloid beta. So my rationale is that if they're targeting the same amyloid beta pathway, given that there's been so many molecules that have failed previously targeting that pathway, I don't expect that this one is going to be any different. Now, having said that, I decided to take a position because we've seen over and over again that companies have been able to spin phase two data in a positive way that leads to these big increases into the stock, even though in phase three, there's an eventual failure. So I decided to take a position in the stock and I have been rewarded handsomely so far, and I'm going to hold on to see the rest of the phase two data. So to get to the actual data here, in one test that measures the speed of execution, the results were statistically significant, P equals 0.04, showing that while Parkinson's disease patients are slow in coding boxes, treatment with ANVS 401 improves their performance. In these same patients, another test that measures coordination showed an improvement in their movements and was almost statistically significant, P equals 0.07. Then they say, in all MDS-UPDRS tests performed, the placebo-treated group either stayed the same or performed worse than at baseline. Instead, the ANVS-401 treated group either stayed the same or performed better than at baseline. And as we know, MDS-UPDRS is a specific PD test that measures severity and progression of the disease. So right out the gate, this data isn't that impressive. They got a statistical difference in one test that measures speed of execution, but my impression is that because they're not giving us more details in the test, that it's kind of a minor part of the overall assessment, but because it happens to be positive, they're selecting that one out to show it to us. But in general, this isn't like that impressive of a data set, and because the CEO kind of outlined that this wasn't powered to demonstrate efficacy, it seems like that's enough to assuage investors and allow them to feel good about the position. The other thing that they mentioned is safety, and they said that there were no adverse events. There was one placebo patient that experienced dizziness, so overall that's good for the safety profile. So I think the thesis is intact for me, and that the company is going to be able to spin whatever kind of outcome into something relatively positive. Now, whether or not it's going to be good in phase three, I don't really know. And I don't think it should matter to any of us because at the end of the day, we're here to try and make some money. So I'm going to hold on to my position for the rest of these catalysts here. And I'm going to outline them because there's a lot of them coming up. And I think we could see further upside in the stock.
Presently, the cerebral spinal fluid and plasma samples of the 14 Parkinson's disease patients who completed treatment are being analyzed to measure the reversal of the toxic cascade with interim data expected to be reported in April. While interim data measuring the same in 14 Alzheimer's disease patients is expected to follow in May, the full data set, including a dose-ranging analysis of the 40 Parkinson's disease patients, is anticipated in June or July of this year. Following the completion of the Phase 2A trial, Anobis is going to request a meeting with the FDA to present the results of the trial and its chronic toxicology study in animals. So, like I mentioned, the company is still only trading at around a $250 million market cap, and for that reason, I could see significantly more upside closer to that of, say, Cassava, which is trading around $1 to $2 billion, assuming that they see positive results here. And I think the company is creative enough that they will be able to spin the data as positive. And for that reason, I'm going to hold on to a decent position in the stock, even though I did sell some on that uh, big increase we saw after the news was released. So that's Anobis. Good news there. And I wanted to quickly pivot to Marker Therapeutics. And this is a company that I touched on quite a while ago in anticipation of their pancreatic cancer data. So the company is trading at a $230 million market cap today. It was originally at under $100 million market cap when I started to do this presentation and look at their corporate presentation. So I definitely missed the boat there. But the company is developing a cell therapy for the treatment of AML as well as different solid tumors. The therapy is a T-cell based therapy. And what they do is they harvest the T-cells from patients, stimulate them with a variety of different factors that induce a specific phenotype that should be better at targeting cancer cells than, say, just a general uh, T-cell prep, and also one where it's not as much of a burden on the company like, say, CAR-T, where they have to go in and edit the cells. Here they just take out the cells, stimulate them with molecules, and then infuse them into a cancer patient. The pancreatic cancer data that we saw last year, was it last year? It may have been a little bit more than a year ago, but it was mixed, I would say. And the reason for this is that it was confounded by the fact that they were treating these patients with a traditional standard of care cocktail, as well as the T-cell therapy. And because the data wasn't that much better than the regular standard of care, it was difficult for the market to really justify an amazing valuation for approval without needing a placebo-controlled trial to go along with the data set. So for that reason, the stock sold off. And then the stock sold off even more when the FDA put a clinical hold on their AML trial because of a new reagent supplier that was needed. And what the FDA was requiring is a new safety lead-in trial. And so that takes us all the way to today. And Marker announced that they've dosed their first patient in the safety lead-in portion of the phase two AML trial. They're gonna be doing six patients for this and it's a 90-day evaluation. They're expecting to complete this in Q2 of this year to initiate the main portion of their phase two AML trial in Q3 of this year, and then to give us a top line readout from the specifically group two, which is the active disease portion in Q1 of 2022. They haven't really given us any insight into the solid tumor program. And then after they did their earnings report, they did a $50 million offering at $1.75 a share. And this adds another $50 million to the cash they had on hand, which is $21.4 million. So cash on hand now is around $71 million. And when I was going to do this presentation, the stock was only trading at around $90 million. So it was a good opportunity to buy then. Hindsight is obviously difficult. But what we heard is that a lot of insiders were buying up the stock last week. 
And it's for that reason that the stock's been seeing this big increase in the last few days. So I think Marker is going to be an interesting company in play, maybe in the second half of this year. And I'm going to be on the sidelines watching to see what happens. And if they can get over this clinical hold, and then we can sort of start getting towards a bigger catalyst like the top line readout of some of these trials, I think we could see significant upside in the stock. I would also like to see an update on their solid tumor program because that was the original excitement around Marker was that you can do these T-cell preps at a lower cost than a CAR-T company and they can do it much quicker than a CAR-T company because then you do all the editing and things like that. And if they could see that big improvement in solid tumor clinical outcomes, the stock price would obviously go a lot higher for that reason. So that's Marker Therapeutics, going to be on the sidelines, but it is an interesting company to me. And before we get to the feature story for today, I wanted to talk about a sponsor for the show. I'm very excited to talk about this company. They're called Gallant, and they've been generous enough to be a sponsor for the show. And what this company does is stem cell banking for your pet. And on this show, we talk a lot about different cell therapies. And even last show, I talked about a company called Longevron, and they're not associated with Gallant at all, but they're trying to commercialize a therapy for mesenchymal stem cells to improve all sorts of different issues associated with aging. And so what Gallant is doing is they're doing a similar thing, but they're doing it for your pet. It's a patented technology that can isolate and store your pet's stem cells, and they're harvested after your pet's spay or neuter program. So where this tissue would normally be thrown out, you can work with your veterinarian and contact Gallant, and what they'll do is create a method for taking that tissue that would normally be thrown out, isolate the stem cells, bank them, and then, you know, as your pet ages, and if they come up with any ailments that would be suitable for a stem cell therapy, your veterinarian and Gallant can work together to figure out a treatment plan. Stem cells have been evaluated in hundreds of studies and have been shown to improve the quality of life of pets, everything from allergic skin conditions to orthopedic injuries and more. And so I looked at the presentations they've shown and I think it's pretty interesting stuff. I was also impressed with the pricing. Plans start as low as $45 a month, and I think when I've looked into pet insurance, it's around a similar cost. So if you can get these stem cells preserved, it could be a big improvement for your quality of life of your pet. So the company is called Gallant, Gallant.com, and if you use my promo code BIO, you could save $100 off the initial payments. So check them out, Gallant.com, stem cell banking for your pet. And with that, let's get to the feature story for today. And the company is called Selecta Biosciences. The ticker symbol is SELB. And they closed on Friday the 19th of March at $4.57 a share, giving them a market cap of $500 million. Their 2020 net loss was $68.9 million, and this works out to about $17 million a quarter. Their Q4 2020 current assets were $151 million, and their Q4 2020 current liabilities were at $81.5 million. And what the company is doing is developing a platform to mitigate unwanted immune responses. And now that's a very general statement, but the implications could be massive because there's so many treatments today that cause an unwanted immune response that if Selective Biosciences was successful, could see a massive adoption of this program. So what their platform is called is mTOR. And what this is, I'm gonna blow up a figure here it's a nanoparticle that encapsulates rapamycin 
as well as the autoantigen and whether that's an actual autoantigen in an autoimmune disorder, a viral vector, or a therapeutic enzyme, it's all encapsulated into this proprietary nanoparticle that is then treated to the patient. And if the technology works, it would lead to immunotolerance of that molecule. So that's kind of on a base level what Selecta is trying to do. And then they're trying to apply this technology into a bunch of different diseases. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that right now. So the three main areas that Selecta is focusing on is enzyme replacement therapy, gene therapies, as well as autoimmune diseases. And to give some color on this in a greater detail, the problem is that with a lot of these different diseases or treatments, it causes this immune response that leads to some kind of negative outcome. So with enzyme replacement therapy, often what happens is that patients will develop immune antibodies against that enzyme that's being infused into them that leads to less efficacy. And we see this often with hemophilia, a lot of other disorders that require enzyme replacement therapy, the therapies don't work as well because the body sees those molecules as foreign and attacks them like they would any normal foreign agent. So what Selecta could do here is if they could use their proprietary molecule to include that enzyme that's being infused into the patient, hopefully they could lead to immunotolerance of that enzyme and allow the treatment to work as intended. The next case study here is for gene therapy. And I've talked about gene therapy a lot in the past, and one of the things that happens is that once an AAV is infused into the patient, they develop antibodies against that AAV specifically, causing there to no longer be any efficacy of that specific AAV if it's redosed to the patient. So really, when we're looking at different kind of AAV gene therapies, it's like a one-time treatment if that AAV causes an induction of antibodies against it. So if Selecta's technology is a success, they could incorporate the AAV with their mTOR technology to make it immunotolerant so that patients could be redosed with that AAV for the same gene therapy or maybe something different. And then the last indication that Selecta could be positive in is in general autoimmune diseases. If you could isolate that autoantigen that's causing the problems in the patient, put it into their mTOR technology, treat it back to the patient, and if that does lead to immunotolerance, you could see a lot of these conditions, and there's a number of them, arthritis, lupus, whatever. You could imagine there's a huge marketplace for this, and it would be a boom for the company and for these patients. So when it comes to valuing this company, the potential patient population is just so large that I think that they're going to start to get a lot of interest from a lot of people who may have spoken about platforms before. And we've seen currently that platforms in companies like Beam have gotten a lot of attention. Other ones that I've talked about, like 4D Molecular Therapies, they're starting to get a lot of attention. And given that Selective Biosciences had seen some negative data in the recent past, I think right now, and as we approach some of their upcoming catalysts, it could be a real buying opportunity. And I think we're going to start to see a big interest in Selective Biosciences as we move forward, and the stock is going to see that respective increase. So they are early in development, but I would say they're further along than some of the other companies that are touted as these big game changers with their platforms. So with that, I want to talk about the first indication that they're looking for, which is in gout. And this is the indication that recently saw some negative data, but I'm going to talk about why I don't see this as a big problem. So the compound is called SEL212, and just to give some background on gout, there's 8.3 million gout patients in the USA, 
Estimated 3 to 10% are not adequately managed, and these are potentially known as refractory patients. And if we distill that, it's about 250,000 to 830,000 patients in the USA. And what Selecta is trying to do is they're trying to help patients that have poorly managed gout by including this molecule, this enzyme replacement therapy, into their mTOR platform. And hopefully what they can get is patients that respond better to the pegcytokase, which is the enzyme that's involved in the enzyme replacement therapy. But they're including it with rapamycin in their nanomolecule, which is called SEL212. And they're hoping that they're going to get a better response from these patients. What Selecta has done here is they've actually licensed this molecule to a company called Sobi, except for the rights to China. And how the deal is structured is they can get up to $730 million worth of royalties depending on the commercialization and the development pathway. And so we're expecting the phase three top line results in H2 of 2022. So this is the figure that they show us on their corporate presentation. And so what they show here is that on five months worth of cell 212, 21 out of 32 patients have a serum uric acid below six milligrams per deciliter. And they compare this to the pegadridicase alone patients, where at four weeks, only three out of 19 were able to maintain a serum uric acid below six milligrams per deciliter. Now, you'll obviously note the big difference in the time frame here. And the reason for this is because the phase two data was actually a failure. They were trying to spin it as a time frame issue that they saw better results when you looked at a specific time frame, but it didn't really match up with what they set out in the original primary endpoint. They talked about COVID being some of the problem, and they also did a protocol change related to that. But they have moved forward with their pivotal phase three program, which the top line results are expected in H2 of 2022. Now, they haven't mentioned an end of phase two meeting with the FDA, and this could be still approvable based on non-superiority, which we've seen before, but it's definitely a concern if you think that the value of selective biosciences is specifically in cell 212. Now, they did mention that the patients that had TROPHI seemed to respond better to this therapy rather than the pegadricase patients alone, but they're going to have to make this case to the FDA to make sure that there's a path forward. So, so far, it seems like in gout, it hasn't been a convincing case that Selecta is seeing success. Now, I think that there are still some other potential indications that could be extremely successful. And because we don't really have to worry about this gout program until age two of 2022, I think that there's still an opportunity here in the company. So let's direct our attention to their AAV program. And so they're right now in phase one in collaboration with a company called AskBio, and they're doing an empty vector study where they're, in, they're incorporating this empty AAV vector into their mTOR technology, treating that to patients and seeing whether or not they get an antibody response. And what they've seen here in non-human primate data is that when they treat with mTOR, they're able to reduce the amount of anti-AAV antibodies in these non-human primates. So this to me, if successful, I think could be a huge mover for the stock. And it's for these indications that I think the company merits some attention. Now, the initial data isn't expected until Q4 of this year. So I'm not going to jump the gun and take a position anytime soon, but it is going to be on my radar.
The next type of indication the company is looking at is primary biliary cholangitis. And what they're doing here is they're combining the autoantigen implicated in PBC using their mTOR technology and then seeing whether or not they can reduce the uh, immune response against those antigens. And what they're seeing here is that they're able to promote immunotolerance in animals that are treated with the mTOR combined with the autoantigen for PBC compared to animals treated with rapamycin alone. So it seems like there could be some real efficacy here and I think that if they can validate these parts of the platform, we could see a massive increase in the stock. So to talk about some upcoming catalysts, the ones that are most interesting to me are the ones related to gene therapy. So MMA here is another gene therapy trial and they're filing the IND for that in Q2 of 2021 and they're gonna be showing the preliminary proof of concept data for this MMA indication before the end of 2021. They're also gonna be doing the initial data from the empty capsid study, the one, another one that's in collaboration with AskBio, and that's gonna come in Q4 of 2021. They're also gonna be moving forward with an IND filing for this wholly owned IgA nephropathy program before the end of 2021. And then in 2022, there's probably gonna be more catalysts that are listed here. But the ones in the second half of this year, I think are very interesting, and I think are worth taking a position for. At least to some capacity, there's gonna be a run up in the stock before these indications read out, and the risk reward ratio definitely favors a long position. Another thing I wanted to mention briefly is that there's a lot of institutional ownership for the stock. Orbimed, EcoR1, BlackRock Renaissance, as well as a board member by the name of Timothy Springer. These institutions and people all own positions in the company, and they've taken these positions relatively late last year. So I think that's kind of a nice indication. Obviously, I wouldn't bank on this as being a sole reason to own the stock, but I think it is a comforting thing to know that a lot of institutions are behind it. So for me, my plan is I'm gonna wait until Q3 to take a position. I'm gonna free up a lot of capital in Q2 in order to make room for 40 molecular therapies as well as selective biosciences. I think that these companies after the Q2 uh, timeframe are gonna be very interesting and I'm gonna want some exposure to them. So that's gonna be my plan. I did also wanna make a quick note on some of the upcoming catalysts that I'm looking for. And they're all listed here. So BioXL, they have a phase one, two for BXCL501 in opioid withdrawal, and that's coming in the next week or two. Bluebird has a PDUFA in late March. Cardiff has a presentation at ASCO they're gonna be doing. And I'm thinking of likely selling Bluebird and Cardiff after those readouts. Atrika has a phase 1B for ATRC 101, and that's gonna be happening in Q2. Trillium excitedly finally has an R&D day planned for late April, I'm holding a nice position in them. Oncturnal has a mid 2021 update coming up. Hepion should be releasing some phase two data in Q2. Acadia, I mentioned that I took a position because of the massive drop in the stock. They, they're likely to see a CRL on April 3rd, and I think that's already relatively priced in. And there's obviously a lot of confusion around Acadia right now, but I think once those details get sussed out, and they will, they're gonna eventually make contact with the FDA. I don't think that the road to approval is gonna be that difficult, given that this molecule's been on the market for so long already. And then Anobis I touched on at the beginning of the show, but there's gonna be more catalysts in April, May, and June or July. 
So to give a quick portfolio wrap up, I am sitting, I believe, around flat for the year now. We had that big sell-off in the XBI and it slowly made its way back. And I know I'm recording this video early in the next week, so this data is a little bit dated, but to mention the positions that I took, I'm holding 25 shares in Anobis. I bought 50 originally, but I sold half of it after that big increase we saw in the Parkinson's disease data. I took that position in Acadia and I did buy 10 shares in ALX Oncology. They sold quite a bit on Friday and they've increased a little bit since then, but you know, I've mentioned in my video before that I think ALX Oncology and Trillium both have a pathway forward and uh, I don't think anybody should be shy about taking positions in companies that could do well. So I took a small position in them and uh, we'll see what happens. But that's where I'm at. So flat for the year, I am trailing the Dow Jones, which is doing very well, the S&P 500, XBI, as well as the IBB. I am beating ArcG, so... Don't want to get too cocky, but watch out, Kathy Woods. And then I'm on par for the NASDAQ 100. And so that's pretty much it for the show, everybody. And I want to thank you all for watching. I appreciate all the support. Please leave me a comment below if you think I'm off on any of this stuff. And yeah, you can also send me an email at matthewlapoire at gmail.com. You can also tweet at me at matthewlapoire on Twitter. And yeah, thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next time.